If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. Taylor hit, but he bounces into the end zone. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. How can we, like you mentioned, as pillars, as guys who are leaders on this team, how can we turn that around? Play action. Now he's in trouble, and he's going to be brought down. A sack for the Colts. DeForest Buckner back to the 27-yard line. Never quit. I never not fall. I never not compete. And I will always continue to be a great, great leader, a great competitor. Now he checks it down left side, looking for the end zone for Alec Pierce. And he's got it. Touchdown, Alec Pierce. This is the official Colts podcast giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. In the Indiana Union Construction Industry Radio Studio, let's get the podcast started. Welcome to the Colts' official podcast presented by our friends at WinBet. My name is Jeffrey Gorman. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, is joining us as usual from Colts.com senior writer J.J. Stankovitz and Lara Overton will be joining us. The coaching search continues. We'll get you up to date on that. Talk a little bit of Super Bowl. Get Maytay's random thought of the week, among other things. But, fellas, coming up on today's show... We're going to update you on that coaching search and where we're at with it. We're going to recap the season of a couple of first-year Colts and break down what their potentials are for next season. We're also going to discuss JT's ankle procedure that he had done last week, what it means for him and his rehab in the offseason. We're going to be talking more and more NFL with Frank Schwab, one of my favorite guests. That guy knows NFL. Maytay, you've known Frank Schwab a long time. He's now into the, uh, the, 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 uh, the gambling game a little bit because, I mean, he gives a lot of those tips out there and stuff like this to come from covering the uh he's you know, clued in NF- yeah that's what i'm saying he's, he's great clued in. so we'll talk to him about what's coming up on the super bowl angle and also this coaching search that goes on but let's start there guys uh colts are hosting candidates for second interviews this week they're able to conduct second interviews with candidates that are coaching in the super bowl the colts can do that through sunday but only if those candidates previously had an interview with the colts prior to this week i don't know about all the parameters of that and you know what we're doing it's just like Bring the guy in, talk to him, bring him out, okay? I know there's rules to be followed, but they're right in the middle of this search still. If the Colts want to hire a coach that is playing in the Super Bowl, they will not be able to do so until after the season. J.J., let me start with you. Where are we at? You just you laid out the parameters there, Jeffrey. Um, <clears throat> the, the last point on the Super Bowl, I think you're, you're seeing more and more teams wait and wait this process out. Previously, I mean, even when the Colts had their their last coaching search in 2018, I was covering the Chicago Bears then, and a week after the season ended, the Bears hired Matt Nagy, and that was the first hire in that cycle. Um, and, and you've seen a lot of hires happen in those previous years. They would happen, like, first week, second week after the season ends. <clears throat> now you're seeing more teams wait it out. I mean, right now, there are five teams – that, that needed a head coach going into this offseason. Only one of them has hired a head coach, and that's our old friend Frank Wright. Congratulations to him on taking over as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. The other four teams, the Houston Texans, Denver Broncos, our Colts, and the Arizona Cardinals, they have not hired a head coach yet. They have not even, you know, I know it's uh, a phrase people are still a little skittish about around here. No one has agreed to terms mm-hmm. with a head coach uh, outside of just Frank Reich with the Carolina Panthers. So this process is is being deliberate for most of the teams involved right now. And, you know, maybe you'll see a couple of hires come out in the next week or two leading up to the Super Bowl. But I wouldn't be surprised if you get to the end of this and there are one or two teams that still don't have a head coach when the Super Bowl ends and the confetti's falling 
and one of those teams could be the Colts. We'll right. see. Right. Well, nothing we can do because we're not inside those interview meetings, but I know Colts owner Jim Mersey, general manager Chris Ballard, the front office as well, a couple of key speakers are in there for each interview, and they are doing their due diligence on this. They're turning over, uh, you know, every nook and cranny there, J.J., to find these guys. Some are offensive coordinators. Some have had experience before in the past uh, as an interim head coach and stuff. So we're just waiting. But my point is I don't think there's any rush. I don't think there's any right, rush. Right. I think they're just kind of – Waiting it out, sitting down, having a nice tea with the candidate, finding out about them personally, but more importantly, finding out about their football acumen. All right, and, and here's the thing. It's a good point, Jeffrey. There's not a rush because sometimes if you enter a coaching search being like, we got to get this one candidate and we can't let him out of our building or we can't let him off the phone because tomorrow he's going to interview with another team, sometimes that, unless you are convinced, all right, this is our guy. Sometimes that leads you to make a rash, rash decision and not talk to the, the breadth of candidates you really need to talk to to nail down your head coach and, and get the right guy in your building. Sometimes there are exceptions to that, but I think in this case you're seeing the Colts and other teams around the league want to be deliberate, want to be thorough with this process, knowing there's not a rush. You know, if we're talking to this guy, yeah, maybe he's talking to another team. Maybe he's talking to Denver or whatever, but you know, that's okay. Like, he should go talk to Denver. We still feel like, hey, he's got a strong chance to be our guy, but unless you hit that 100%, we're convinced on this guy level, don't offer the job just because you're worried he might go somewhere else. That's right. Thorough is the key word to remember on this coaching search. Thorough. They've got guys in their back pocket that they know about, but they are thoroughly going through the list of candidates. You can find out more on Colts.com and wherever you get your latest news. I want to talk about the roster now, J.J., with a little off-season surgery, which I don't like to talk about, especially out of key key uh, players, and in this case, we're talking about JT, Jonathan Taylor, suffering two separate high ankle sprains Mm -hmm. on his right ankle that cost him three games apiece this past season. The final one, placing him on injured reserve. He went through a procedure known as arthroscopic debridement. Debridement. I believe it's debridement. Debridement. Debrickashaw Ferguson. (laughs) Arthroscopic debridement. No. (laughs) (laughs) To clean out the ankle, common recovery time is four to six weeks. JJ, I'll just say this. Much like NBA centers, Mm -hmm. you make your living with your feet. So does this cat, Jonathan Taylor, take care of your feet and ankles. How are we looking right this? That's what he does. He depends on those things for pivots, for cuts, for everything. I'd hate to see running backs getting high ankle sprains and then going into surgery on them. Yeah, I mean – at the end of the season, uh, when we had a chance to talk with JT and Chris Ballard, neither of them were were committed to going this route. It was sort of a let's let's get some opinions on it. Let's figure out what needs to be done. Can it be rehab? Do we need to have a procedure? Um, and, I mean, look, undergoing surgery and making the decision to undergo surgery is a big deal. I, I'm guessing Jonathan Taylor probably has never had surgery in his life before. Really? He, he was a guy who never he never was on the practice report, never was on the injury report. He never missed a practice in college or high school. Just a guess. I don't know that for sure. Um, and that's a big deal to say, yeah, I'm, hey, put me under, cut me open, you know. But to to get to that point, you need to you are going to be convinced, and Jonathan Taylor and the Colts are probably convinced that this is what needed to happen so Jonathan Taylor can come back at 100. percent Next year, because last year he gutted through those ankle injuries. Those were not right all season. And just some numbers on on what the Colts' run game looked like. They went from 78 explosive runs. Those are 10 or more yards gained on a rushing play. In 2021, that was third highest in the NFL as a team. 
all the way down to 47 in 2022. That was 25th in the NFL. You're talking about that, that's a difference of 31 explosive runs, like two per game almost. And those explosive runs, that's how you start drives. If you start a drive with an explosive run, you got the defense on their heels, you're being more physical than them, and you're going down and you're probably scoring points. The Colts were not able to do that at a consistent basis this year in an offense that was designed to run the football. So for Jonathan to, to tie it back into what JT's doing here, I think he's, he knows we got to get back to that explosive run game. But also Jonathan Taylor, he's going into the last year of his rookie deal. Right, right. It, time flies in the NFL. And this is going to be a big offseason and a big year for Jonathan Taylor and what his future looks we like. We don't know where the Colts are going with their first-round draft pick. We don't know. But a lot of guessing going on, a lot of people saying quarterback, as are we. So with that being said, J.J., how important is Jonathan Taylor to a rookie quarterback? Yeah. And I'm going to flip it, too, with you if you can answer both ways. And how important is that rookie quarterback to Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to flip it. I think for the rookie quarterback – there's something there, there is something to the mental load that a rookie is to shoulder in the NFL mm-hmm. and just being able to hand it off on a play and get a breather, get a mental breather almost. Right. You know, yeah, you're still going up to the line. You still probably have some checks, you know, based on what the front looks like, what the, the back end looks like. Do I audible out of this into a passing play? Do I, you know, flip where, the direction of the run? But once you hand that ball off, it, you get a, a five-second breather. That matters, I think, to a rookie quarterback when everything is flying around you so fast. You don't want to over-rely on it, but it's important to have that run game. And it's also important then, if you can stay ahead of the chains, your job is a whole lot easier as a rookie quarterback. Um, for, the, for, the, the, for Jonathan Taylor, though, I think it, depending on what direction the Colts go, when you're drafting in the top four, mm-hmm. the guy you're drafting is going to be athletic. That doesn't mean he's going to be a scrambler like a Lamar Jackson or Justin Fields, but he's going to be athletic. Look at Joe Burrow. How many times in the playoffs did he take off and he scramble for 15 yards? You know, he'd do it once or twice a game, but he has the ability to do that. Patrick Mahomes, he is not a scrambling quarterback, but my God, even when he's got a sprained ankle, he can still move a little bit. You know, Jalen Hurts, obviously more of a mobile quarterback, but he can really sling it with the best of them. Um, I think having that that benefit of Jonathan Taylor being able to play off that maybe with some zone read concepts. Uh, you look at like the season Miles Sanders had in Philadelphia, yeah. very productive, very efficient with that team with a quarterback who could take it on those keepers and run. Um, that stuff is all important for a running back, absolutely. Hey, you follow this game for a long time in Chicago before this here in Indianapolis. Just as a fan, I mean, unless you know some inside sources that we could you could talk about, but, but Jalen Hurts, what – I mean, a great story yeah. to go through what he did, winning at the rate that he did at Alabama, mm-hmm. continuously winning, and then saying, hey, you're not good enough. And getting benched in the college football playoff championship. Benched! And then says, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going somewhere else. Has success at Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Then guys can come around. He's not a first-round talent. He's not a first. This is a near MVP winner, nearly. Yep. I don't think yep. he's going to win it, but nearly this year. Why, how do people miss on that? How do front offices, yeah. how do scouts, how do general managers miss on somebody who is within a few years, J.J., an MVP candidate and a hell of a good player, too, but miss yeah. into the second round at here, that position? Here, here's what I, I feel like with quarterbacks is the successful ones are all unique, and unique is such an overused word. To be unique, you have to be one of one. 
But all these quarterbacks, you know, look at Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. That is a one-of-one one quarterback. Mahomes, one-of-one one quarterback. Joe Burrow, the way that he processes with his size in the pocket, his mobility, he's a one-of-one one quarterback. Jalen Hurts, a one-of-one one quarterback. So to have success with these guys, what talents do they have, and how do you accentuate them? Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen in Philadelphia, and Brian Johnson, their quarterback coach, by the way, have done an unbelievably good job with Jalen Hurts, where they have said, let's tailor our offense to you. Remember last year, the first part of that season in 21, they came out and Nick Sirianni wanted to run a pass-heavy offense. And ah, it's not going to work. They pivoted after about week six or seven into a run-heavy offense to give Jalen Hurts some time to get acclimated and get some, some confidence there. They made the playoffs last year. Now this year, they go out and they identify, all right, what does Jalen Hurts do really well? He can throw the deep ball really well. And you know what? I think We think if we get a certain type of receiver who can win over the middle, that can be an area of his game where we find Enter success. Enter A.J. Brown. Enter A.J. Brown, yeah. a guy who can do both of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, A.J. Brown, how many times did he catch and run it against us with the Titans and go 68 yards on a right. three-yard slant? But then he can beat you on the one-on-one 50-50 deep balls. And they just built and, – and their offensive line is incredible. They have the best offensive line in the NFL. And they built their offense around the talents of their quarterback – and did such a good job of it. And same thing in Cincinnati with uh, Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan building that offense around the talents of Joe Burrow. The first five weeks of the season in, in Cincinnati, it wasn't looking very good for that offense. And then they started to pivot. They figured some stuff out with their run game. They really accentuated what Burrow could do when teams were taking away the, you know, effort Jamar's down there somewhere option, playing these two high shells. They built an offense for Joe Burrow to use his brain and to process so well that they accentuated the talents of their quarterback and once it, again. It also helps when you have T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. It sure does. Yeah. When you got the, and it helps and when you got Devontae Smith yeah. and, and A.J. Brown. Yeah. But when you your coaching staff builds the offense around the talents yep. of the quarterback, that leads these guys, these one-of-one talents, to have the kind of success that we've seen in the playoffs. Could see it here in Indianapolis, depending on that upcoming NFL draft. Of course, we're going to keep you covered year-round. Find out more information at Colts.com. Want to bring in Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts now. We got some rookie reports, Maytay. I want to start with that. The dust has settled on 2022 season. Let's take a look at some of the rooks and the kind of years that they turned in as first-year Colts. Discuss the potential. JJ, you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Maytay, I'm starting with you, buddy. The big man. The big Austrian, Bernard Ryman. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Love the kid. Talked to him many times in the locker room. Love the kid. And he's there because, you know I love him? Because he said, yeah, I'm just not playing well enough. You know, uh-huh. in the midseason, yep. early yep. season, he said, got to get better. Got to lean on my, my 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 veteran teammates on this. Not playing well. I got to put – I like that um because he's getting a snot beat out of him in the first year. But it's guys like this, Maytay, that stick around once they learn, hey, I'm, I, you know, I'm here to stay. Right. I know what I'm doing at this level. No question, it was an up and down start of the you know career for Bernard Ryman, especially that first start. Right, it was week five, I believe, Denver. in Denver on a short week. Thursday night football, you know, had a couple of penalties in that game, gave up a couple of sacks. Um, but I think as the season progressed, both your eyeballs and then the analytics showed that he was playing much better. You know, he would uh, have more consistency about him on film. The, the rough part for Bernard Ryman, I think, when you go back and examine his entire season, is that he stood out on tape at inopportune times, right? Late in the game, fourth quarter, you know, he'd get beat and give up a big play or a big sack. They pushed the Colts out of a scoring threat or a field goal position. But I think all told, 
Bernard Ryman really progressed and got better as the season went on, became more comfortable with what the Colts were asking of him. Footwork got better. I think just poise and control of, of the game and the speed of the game, he became more comfortable with that as the season progressed. So I think Bernard Ryman, I don't, I don't think you this offseason, you know, you get out that Sharpie and you say this is our left tackle and you write it down in permanent ink, but I think you feel good about the time on task that he got over the course of 16 games and whatever it was, 9 or 10 starts in the season. He played 100% of the snaps in those starts down the stretch, so he got a lot of opportunity to get better and to grow. I mean, keep in mind, this is a guy that really hasn't been playing left tackle all that long coming from the MAC to the NFL. That's a huge jump. So I thought as the season went on, he acquitted himself better and better, and you feel good about the foundation that he built up this season going into a sophomore campaign. Mature young man, good feed on him. JJ, I want to stick along with these rookie reports. Hold on, can I, can I just throw something in on Bernard? Yeah. Um, because I, I I got a lot of this. I, I When I wrote this article, this rookie review of Bernard Ryman, and put it out there, and I had a lot of fans being like, he was a turnstile, he sucks, all that, Yeah, he gives up all these sacks. Bernard Ryman allowed the fewest pressures of any rookie left tackle Attaboy. or tackle in the NFL this year. Rookie tackles usually don't just step in and look like, you know, they're freaking Jonathan Ogden. Right. I mean, it's a learning curve. And I kind of liken it to like a young pitcher in baseball who's just lights out for the first five innings. And then when he get into the sixth and it's the third time through the lineup, all of a sudden Homer Bailey's looking over his shoulder and that ball's going into the river. Like <laughs> whoa! Why you gotta throw Homer Bailey in here? Guy uh, threw a couple no hitters, man. Yeah, but you know, you, I, <laughs> I love it. Just drop, Obs- obscure Reds. Remember, remember that guy? Reds comment. Love but it. but that but but then you develop and you develop the ability to be a finisher at that position. The Colts are pleased with how Bernard Ryman played this year. Chris Ballard said it. You know, yeah, he needs to get a little bit stronger this offseason. A full season isn't any. As an NFL player in an NFL weight program, I think will benefit him. Mm-hmm. But the foundation for Bernard Ryman is solid. And I think, to me, that's the most important thing you can say about him. I will, I will never not equate Bernard Ryman and Homer Bailey now from now no, on. It's, it's Let's go. In. This yeah. kid, he could be in the They're league for 12 now. years, my right. friend. So <laughs> get ready for that. All right, JJ, let's stick with you. Alec Pierce, the second rounder. He totaled 41 catches for 593 yards, two touchdowns as a rookie. He ranked six in receiving yards among all rookies, ranked fourth among rookies in catches over 25 yards. But... Pierce hit a rookie wall from mm-hmm. November to January, J.J. Pierce had just one game of at least three catches and 45 yards. And I know the Colts were in a tailspin at that time. Did Pierce prove last season that he can be the top target? I don't know about the top target because Michael Pittman Jr. still is on this team. Um, but he can be a a really good complement to Michael Pittman Jr. And it's hard to separate the Colts' passing offense as a whole being broken from – what individually guys did this year. I think we've had this discussion with Michael Pittman Jr. where Pitt had a really good season. He's a really good player. He didn't hit 1,000 yards. You know, is that really his fault? Like that type of stuff. Um, But look at Michael Pittman Jr. in year one. As a rookie, 61 targets, 40 receptions, 503 yards. Alec Pierce, as a rookie, 78 targets, 41 receptions, 593 yards. In the same ballpark, Alec a little bit ahead of Pittman, especially when it comes to the explosive receptions. Mm -hmm. And then in year two, Michael Pittman Jr., last year in 2021, 
129 targets, 88 catches, 1,082 yards, six touchdowns. That year one to year two jump that receivers often make, if you build the foundation in year one, it gives you the opportunity to go do that. Alec Pierce built that foundation in year one. Mate, year two, Alec Pierce, give me something. Yeah, I think I think there's potential there to really explode, a la Michael Pittman from 20 to 21. I, I think the biggest thing, and, and it's, it's really unfair to talk about this right now because we don't know who's going to play quarterback. We don't even know who's going to play or be the head coach and you know coordinate this offense. But like we talked about at the end of the season, you know, things to do or the to-do list for the Colts to prioritize and fix is the passing game. Find more creative ways to get Alec Pierce involved. Quite frankly, you talk about that rookie wall, you know, that is synonymous with the, the quarterback upheaval, you know, Frank Reich being fired and Marcus Brady being let go and, you know, the change in the, the play caller. I mean, all of that kind of coincided with Alec Pierce's numbers being flat in a negative way so I want to see Alec Pierce be more involved and quite frankly be more of that deep threat deep down the field those go route contested catch down the field because that's what he proved that he did in Cincinnati he showed that in his rookie season so I want to see more explosiveness out of Alec Pierce just by creativity and design from whoever coordinates this offense Matt Taylor voice of the Colts JJ Stankovitz Colts.com senior writers guys I want to talk the tight end room okay the tight end room Jelani Woods we're talking that rookie report but you guys can kind of dovetail into the other ones Mo Alley Cox has been here a few years we don't know what we have in Drew Ogletree mm-hmm. Kylan Granson's a fun one to watch sometimes where are we at laid off with Jelani Woods JJ and where are we at in the guys that follow behind so Jelani's receiving production was what it was you know it was Pretty typical for a rookie tight end, 25 catches, 312 yards, three touchdowns. Over the last, uh, I I pulled this up, over the last uh, 54 tight ends drafted in the first 100 picks of the last 10 NFL drafts, whatever, that's a word salad. Just know that on average, highly picked rookie tight ends usually have about 22 catches, 350 yards, two touchdowns as as rookies. So Jelani right right in that range. The biggest thing with Jelani is something that Rick Venturi said is that he's a willing blocker. And the Colts envision Jelani as being that in-line Y tight end, which is something that, you know, that's where Jack Doyle made his money, is that that in-line guy who can be a receiving threat, who can be a blocker. I think Jelani's got quite a bit of receiving upside. If the blocking comes along, Colts are going to have quite a good player right there. Jelani's got like 35-inch arms. He's got like left tackle-sized arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got to work on, you know, figuring out how to maneuver that as the inline guy. But just the fact, again, Mate, that, that Rick said he's willing. To me, that that's all you need as a rookie tight end. Just be willing. The technique and the strength will come yeah. as long as you, you are willing to do it. You want to that in your game. Yes. Right? No, I mean, if the question is, is Jelani Woods the biggest tight end threat the Colts have going into next season? Absolutely. Mm. Unquestionably, yes. And I know Drew Ogletree is coming back, and there was a stretch there in training camp where Ogletree, it appeared, was ahead of Jelani Woods on the depth chart in terms of being comfortable and making plays and, and just being a big dynamic threat within the offense. But you know what? That was training camp. That was a couple weeks. And Jelani Woods did it pretty consistently over the course of his entire rookie season. Now, with that, there was a lot of caveats to it, right? He was dealing with a shoulder injury for a couple of weeks. He fell victim to, I think, all of the upheaval along the offense, uh, just like every other skill player within this group. 
But I, again, I, I say the same thing about Jelani Woods that I did Alec Pierce. I want to find more creative ways to get him involved, not just inside the red zone, mm-hmm. where he was a, a, a major threat last year. I mean, all of his touchdowns came inside the 20-yard line. Um, but I, I want to see just more yards per catch in this offense. And I think the two guys that you have to get involved in that regard next season, not because of their growth, but because of the health of the offense in order for it to work, are Alec Pierce and Jelani Woods, hands down. Those two guys have to be the biggest threats, you know, vertical passing game-wise for the Colts next year to succeed. Have to Have to be. Have to be, and have to be in the blocking line as well. I'm sorry. I don't know about Kelsey. This is for another show and stuff like that, but those real athletic tight ends and stuff, what are their blocking percentages? You know, what are those guys? Kelsey, none. Maybe Chip and Kelsey split out as the X. So so I'm saying, like, these Ogletree and Jelani Woods type of players that are huge targets, but they run like the wind, Mm -hmm. you know, are these guys, like Matt says, hey, he's getting to be a better blocker, like you said, and stuff like that. Is it needed? Yeah, it is. I mean, George Kittle is one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL, and he's Good also point. one of the best receiving Good tight point. ends in yeah. the NFL. Good yeah. Point. Okay. Well Especially done. when you have Jonathan Taylor. That's it's true. needed. Right. That's true. Well right. done. I like it. I like where we're at when the, in the tight end room right now as far as the youngsters go. Okay, let's talk on the defensive side. Mate, starting with you, Rodney Thomas the second, the yeah. seventh rounder out of Yale. You heard that right. The seventh rounder out of Yale went on to start 10 games and record a team high four interceptions, the most by a rookie drafted number 200 overall or later since 1992. So the young man had an impact in his first year. His four interceptions were the most by a Colts since Jason David did it. Colts rookie, right? Colts rookie, yeah. yeah. Since Jason David, rather, in 2004. Guys, let me know what's going on with Rodney Thomas. Let me know what's going on with Nick Cross, who was also a guy that mm-hmm. they moved up to get that's playing the same position. We thought we'd see a lot more Nick Cross this year. We ended up seeing a lot of Rodney Thomas. Yeah. This this one's fascinating because of the Nick Cross component, because the Colts moved up high in the draft to get him. Mm-hmm. And that's big, especially this year when you could be looking at giving up assets to get a quarterback if you want to, right? If you want to move up in the draft, yeah. I mean, having that third-round pick this year – that would have been good, but you gave that up last year to, to grab Nick Cross. So they obviously feel really, really they're intrigued with his potential and, and what he can be, but it was interesting last year he was getting all that run in training camp. He started the first couple of games of the season, and then really he was just, you know, we're going to cool the Jets on you. Maybe this is a little bit too much on you right away from a mental side of things. He became really entrenched in, in the special teams game. So he's a really good player. By no means are the Colts just sort of giving up on him in terms of what he can be. So I think it's more of a attaboy for Rodney Thomas more so than a demotion for Nick Cross. But I don't I don't think there's any reason you go into the offseason workout program and you say Rodney Thomas is not part of that starting lineup mixture. Because yeah, he played I, he played that well. I mean he did. And and the range that and instincts that Rodney Thomas showed at that free safety position in Gus Bradley's defense were incredible. This is a guy, by the way, who <laughs> I was going back and I was like, where did Rodney Thomas rank? Last year, you know, by, by we didn't the draft experts. We didn't even know if he was a linebacker yeah. or well, a, a corner and, or a safety. Yeah, and so I pulled up the uh, from The Athletic, Dane Brugler, for my money, one of the best two draft analysts out there, him and Lance Zerline, and he, he does the beast. It's his he, do, he ranks thousands of players in every draft. He had Rodney Thomas ranked as the 158th linebacker out of 190 draft-eligible linebackers. 158. Again, just at linebacker. There are like 261 picks in the draft. And, I mean, th- this this guy was so far off the radar. And Colts draft him. And turns out to be 
a great rookie safety. It's incredible. Ten it's great. games starting for a yeah. guy at seventh that you're like, hey, is he going to make the team when we're up there right. in Westfield? Well, because, I mean, 100%. remember, you know, we, didn't, we didn't know. Yeah, you're right. We didn't know if he was going to make the team. It was only when Armani Watts suffered a season-ending injury in the Colts' final preseason game that was like, oh, I guess Ronnie Thomas is going to make the team. There it, is. it wasn't like, you know, he looked good, but it would have been like, yeah, if he winds up on the practice squad, that would make some sense. And he wound up on the team. He, he comes in week three, and that play, the one that sticks out to me was – he comes into that game against the Chiefs, mm-hmm. and in the second quarter, Mahomes steps up in the pocket. He does that Mahomes thing where he just rips one mm-hmm. down the field. He's, he's targeting Justin Watson. Ronnie Thomas covers about 25 yards, just you know, field to boundary, and he swats that pass away. It didn't count because there was a holding penalty on mm-hmm. it uh, on, the, on the Chiefs. But I remember like, I'm, you know, doing the PA up there, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. look at this. <laughs> like, covered, covered some ground. Yeah, and then in that game – you you would think that if a rookie safety you didn't know what the heck he was doing was out there that Mahomes and that offense would have been just throwing flamethrowers at him the whole game. 17 points for the Chiefs, the Super Bowl bound Chiefs. That is the fewest points they scored in a game this season. Rodney Tom, if they do have a rookie of the year, he would be it here, wouldn't he? What do you think, guys? I mean, just in terms of what do you think of impact and, and production, and I production? think I, I I don't know if this is fair or not, but just sort of. Exceeding all expectations. Yeah, four, yeah, so, I mean, he is so literally got, the last draft pick for the Colts. I got, I got the, I got the question in a mailbag uh, recently. Was Rodney Thomas the biggest steal in the 2022 draft? I think most people are going to go with Brock Purdy on that yeah, one. Yeah. But you could make a case. Rodney Thomas would be right up there. Tariq Woolen, the cornerback for the Seahawks, would be right up there. But that's some good company to be in. If hey, we're talking about you as the number 239 overall pick, being a steal. Because you started 10 games and you led your team in interceptions, that's yeah. an awfully good isn't season. It, isn't it a classic case of just get the foot in the door, man? Yeah, that's yep. it, Just man. get the foot in the door. doesn't matter. Wonderful. Well done there, young man. Well done. Rodney Thomas the second. All right, guys. We're going to float around the NFL a little bit, talk some Super Bowl, talk some gambling first. got the big game coming up in under two weeks with the man, Frank Schwab from Yahoo Sports. Frank, what do you think? That line shifted a bit. It really did. It, it was kind of strange. It came out. You know, Chiefs were, I think, one-and-a-half-point favorites. And within 90 seconds, that was on the move, and the Eagles became favored. That went to Eagles minus one-and-a-half, Eagles minus two-and-a-half. Uh, just all the money early on pouring in on the Eagles. It, it settled a little bit. I believe it's still at minus two this morning. I haven't checked. But, yeah, Eagles, small favorites, still under a field goal. So, you know, I mean, they're still telling you that, that they think this one's going to be close. But, sure. yeah, I was honestly kind of surprised that, that uh, so much of the early bets were on the uh, Eagles. For sure. Let's talk about uh, one side, then we'll shift to the other in a minute. Nick Sirianni's known around here in Indianapolis, offensive coordinator for the Colts for a while. Now he's got this championship-caliber team in the Super Bowl. I'd say this. Arguably, 18 months ago, Frank, that was the worst roster in the NFL. Tell me about the turnaround. I mean, they just <laughs> – Howie Roseman has just done a heck of a job, hasn't he? I mean, if if you're talking about, you know, I don't, you know, nobody cares about the Executive of the Year award. Nobody really remembers who won it, but he'd win it unanimously this year. He's the the, the Philly GM Howie Roseman has just done such an incredible job. I mean, remember, I you know, this team won a Super Bowl five years ago with a different coach and a different quarterback and mostly a different roster. It's remarkable how they remade it, and then. Everything you touch turned to gold in the offseason. You sign Hassan Reddick to a reasonable deal for a, a top pass rusher, and he's you know, probably the best free agent signing of the offseason. You trade for A.J. Brown when the Tennessee Titans kind of misread the, the, the receiver market. 
he's become a bona fide number one and, and just transformed their offense. You get James Bradbury to come to you on a one-year deal after the Giants could afford to keep him. He's been a top-20 cornerback in the league. Just everything they've done has been great. Just, he's just on a roll. He's just on a heater right now. They've done a, a great job building that roster. It's, a, it's the deepest roster in the NFL, I think, clearly. And you know, and they still have draft ammunition coming up. I mean, this this could be a, a pretty long-term thing for the Eagles being one of the elite teams in the NFL. They've they've had a tremendous season. They're going to have tremendous seasons to come. It's a testament to what they've done in the front office. Just you're right. Just amazing the way they've transformed their roster in a short time. Yeah, that's Frank Schwab with us. You kind of answered my next question where I wanted to go with you, Frank. I mean, Jeffrey talked about Nick Sirianni. I mean, we saw him every day for three years. Jalen Hurts is playing, you know, very, very good right now. I mean, they seem like a team that is built for success, but sustainability-wise, I mean, do you think they're there? Are they built to be sort of that powerhouse in the NFC for years to come, in your opinion? I think so. I mean, you know, you guys know how the NFL goes, though. I mean, three years in the NFL is a lifetime, it seems like now. I mean, everything changes over so quickly. The, the key is going to be what they do with Jalen Hurts. I think everybody, you know, appreciated, respected what Hurts did this season. He probably second in the MVP, maybe third behind Burrow, but, you know, a top three MVP finish, right? Well, now you got to pay him. He, I remember, you know, I wrote it in a preview for the Eagles this year, and I just had seen it. I'll get the numbers wrong a little bit, but I think his cap hit this year was like $1.6 million. It was it was like one twenty first of what Ryan Tannehill's cap hit was, and so once you got to pay that quarterback, all of a sudden things change. Mm-hmm. You can't go get an AJ Brown anymore. You can't go sign a Hassan Reddick. You got to pay that quarterback unless the Eagles decide we're not going to pay Jalen Hurts. I doubt that's the case, but you know, some team is going to look at the landscape. I think we would all agree. The biggest advantage you can have in the NFL, probably the biggest advantage in sports, is having a good quarterback on his rookie deal. Because then you could just buy up everything else on your roster, right? No team has really leveraged that beyond one rookie deal, though. No no team has said, hey, Jalen, we've had fun. You were awesome. We appreciate it. We are not going to pay you $40 million a year because we just can't build a championship roster. Doing that, we're going to go find our next Jalen Hurts in the draft and then start this whole process again. Nobody has done that. Nobody's had the job security to do it. Nobody's had the kind of the courage to do it either. So it's going to be very interesting. I doubt the Eagles are that team just because I don't know if we're going to see it for a while because there's just so much fear of the unknown at quarterback. But it's going to be a really interesting thing to see if they can maintain this. Whatever happens with Jalen Hurts, basically once they have to come to the table and either decide on a long-term deal or decide to, to start it all over again. Kid's a great story. That is Frank Schwab. Follow him on Twitter. You like football? Do yourself a favor. Follow Frank Schwab at Yahoo Schwab. Okay, on the flip side, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, history making. Quick question. Saw it on social media. Want to throw it by you, and then you can talk about the job that Andy Reid's done. If this game goes down to Patrick Mahomes winning the Super Bowl and walking off the field and waving to the crowd saying, I am done playing the game of football, is he a Hall of Famer? I mean, first ballot, unanimous, wave the five-year period. I mean, <laughs> how many quarterbacks have we seen in NFL history better than Patrick Mahomes? I don't care if it's five. I, don't, I just don't care. Right. Like, I don't need to see any more of Patrick Mahomes to tell you he's a Hall of Famer. If if you're still on the fence, if you're going into the Super Bowl, like, I don't know. I, I just I haven't seen enough of Patrick Mahomes to tell if he's a Hall of Famer. You need to watch more football is what happens. Like, he is 
I, you know, he doesn't have Brady's resume or even Montana or Elway's resume. He hasn't played long enough. But we're just talking talent and the best quarterbacks I've ever seen play the game. He doesn't get past number three, four. Like, I mean, he's that good, that talented. He's going to win a second MVP. He's been to five straight AFC Championship games. He's, you know, I mean, in his five years, it's pretty unbelievable when you think about it that they've had three Super Bowls and two overtime losses in the AFC yeah. Championship game. Yeah. Like, I mean, just unbelievable run he's on. He's great. I, he is already a Hall of Famer in my book. I don't care if if he doesn't, you know, if he, he retires before a Super Bowl, he's a Hall of Famer to me. I, I just, I, I think he's he's just he's on that rare level of athlete that I've ever seen in my life. And I'm talking all sports. I'm talking Gretzky, Jordan, yeah. whoever you want to put in there. He's just that guy. And for him to play like he did in the AFC Championship game, bad ankle. His receivers are getting hurt left and right, and the receivers aren't even that good anyway. It was just remarkable. Well, it was we, remarkable to watch him perform like that. that that's great. what I wanted to talk I, to. I, I, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but losing the likes of Tyreek Hill and what he is, a pro ball, all pro guy, yeah. a lot of yards chewed up, a lot of receptions, and then to do what they did with a couple of guys, you go, wait, 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 wait. We're in the same number. What's his name? Who is that? I mean, how about the job Andy Reid's done with this offense? Oh, and Andy Reid's unbelievable, too. I mean, he's. I'm glad he won the one Super Bowl because that just changes the whole narrative. He's no longer the best coach never to win. He's he's a Hall of Famer now. Like it, I don't think there's any question about that. He's one of the great coaches of, of our era, of any era, really. And, yeah, I mean, you, you – look, I was one of those guys. Go back. You can go back. It's out there. I was doubting the Chiefs. I was one of those people saying, nope, Chargers going to win the division. Chiefs going to take a step back. No Tyreek Hill. They didn't really do anything in the offseason. And it just doesn't matter because they have this Hall of Fame coach and this Hall of Fame quarterback. It's, it's remarkable, really. I mean, every other team – they got a number one receiver. Their offense, I guess, except the Raiders, but their offense got this huge bump. They played well. The quarterbacks played well. We all talk about how much Tua came along because he had Tyreek Hill, how much Jalen Hurts came along because he had A.J. Brown. We don't talk enough about Pettibles lost Tyreek Hill and then set a record for combined rushing yards and passing yards in a season. I know it's the 17th game, but who cares? I mean, just unbelievable. You just It's, it's just you look at these two teams and the difference in team building, like the, the construction. you got one team that has this unbelievable roster with, a, I think, a good quarterback. I don't know if anybody thinks he's just singularly elite in Jalen Hurts. And then you got a team that's just, hey, we have the best head coach quarterback combo in the game, one of the greatest combos ever. Mm-hmm. Our roster's not that good, but it doesn't matter because we got these two dudes and we're going to figure out a way to beat you. And no doubt about that. That's Frank Schwab, NFL insider from Yahoo Sports, coming in, you know, locally, Frank, with the Colts. Just curious, your your national perspective on their situation. I know they've got a lot of uncertainty right now with, you know, their ongoing head coaching search and um, you know, they're picking high in the draft, and so they might be going after that uh, young franchise quarterback. I'm interested, what is attractive to you about the Colts if you are a head coaching candidate right now in the NFL? Well, I think that the Colts do have a good roster. I mean, look, I picked them to win the AFC South last season. I didn't realize Matt Ryan was going to fall apart and everything was going to snowball on them like it did. They, there are pieces for sure. I mean, you look at the, them compared to a team like the Texans, which surprisingly, even though they've had a terrible, terrible record, they haven't really drafted that many stars. Like, there's not much talent on that roster, but the Colts do have talent. Um, I just want you know. Throw out, I'm a Wisconsin alum, so I've I've seen Jonathan Taylor play a lot. He's he's unbelievable. Guys like that, guys like obviously Quentin Nelson's going to bounce back. I think 
But it's man, it's hard from a national perspective. All we're doing is watching and saying, "Is Jim Irsay really going to hire Jeff Saturday? Really? I mean, to go, to, yeah, they got the win against the Raiders, and then the, I think zero seven the rest of the way. Right, right. He didn't have any credentials for the job, but Jim Irsay seemed so confident about him. And then you see the the rumor, you know, the reports trickling out of. Everybody else is interviewing, you know, whoever, but Jim Irsay still wants Jeff Saturday, and you're like, are they really going to do this? I just, it would be such, and whatever, Jeff Saturday might be a great head coach on the road. I don't know. But it would be such a a leap of blind faith to hire him right now based on nothing. They didn't play well last year. They blew the biggest lead in NFL history, the fourth quarter against the Cowboys, all that kind of stuff. So I think that that's just, who are they going to hire as head coach? Is it going to be Jeff Saturday, or is it going to be, Someone honestly with a little more credentials for the job. I, it's hard to even talk about the Colts in 2023 without knowing the answer to that question because it's just going to reshape everything you do. And then the quarterback question is interesting. I think that the Colts move up. I think the Bears are sitting there at one saying, "We ain't drafting a quarterback." Matt Aberfluss is going to get on the phone with his old buddies from Indy and say, "All right, what do we need to do? What do you need to do to get up to number one?" It's going to cost a lot, but. I think the Colts go up to number one and get their quarterback. I think that that's the most reasonable outcome when you look at just the scenarios and what could happen. The Colts need a quarterback. Ursay's been dying to get a quarterback. We, everybody knows that. that. That team needs a quarterback because the pieces are pretty good around it. So go up, get Bryce Young, start your new era all over again. It's, it's, a, rare, it's a rare scenario where the number one the team picking number one when there's a good quarterback on the board doesn't need a quarterback, so they're going to be looking to move down they can move down, not fall too far where they won't get the guy they want. They're, they're still going to get a great player because quarterbacks will go 1-2. And I think that way the, the Colts kind of reset things. Awesome. All right, Frank Schwab at Yahoo Schwab. Follow him if you're an NFL fan. Appreciate the time. As always, want to talk to you this offseason coming up because, like you said, the draft, the coaching search, which is still ongoing as of this recording right now. Frank Schwab, two questions to let you go. They are yes or no replies only. Are you ready? Yes. Aaron Rodgers plays quarterback. That's the first one, right? Aaron <laughs> Aaron Rodgers plays quarterback next year for the Green Bay Packers. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Number two, Trey Lance is a starting quarterback in San Francisco next year. Yes or no? No, no, no. I love it. That is Frank Schwab. Follow him again at Yahoo Schwab. If you like the NFL, you'll love this cat. Frank, appreciate the time. Let's have a great Super Bowl and chat about it afterwards. Absolutely. I appreciate it, guys. One of the best in the business, Frank Schwab. Appreciate you. Follow him on Twitter at Yahoo Schwab. Now time for a little hook and lateral, Don Coriel style back in the day, Mate. <laughs> Boise State, you mentioned earlier, is also a good one. Hook and lateral is this segment. That's right. Jeffrey, I'm gonna, you're going you're gonna to start as the quarterback. Right. You're going to throw right. it to somebody, right. and then we'll lateral around the topics. All right, let's go. Round let's keep table. this hot potato going. All right, hook and lateral. We're still in this thing. We're still in this thing. Here we go. DJ, I'm tossing it to you. Did the Bengals get hosed by the officials in the AFC Championship game. I'm going to pump in some music here. How about that? Fire it up. Yeah, let's go. Give me it. The Cincinnati Bengals did not get hosed by officiating. There were 129 plays in that game. And, yeah, it was was a close game, and it comes down to a couple of things. Um, The penalty on Joseph Asai was the correct call. Feel awful for that kid. It's the correct call. There was not holding on that play. Uh, Holding Twitter became extremely annoying on Monday because people don't understand the rules of what holding is. And if you follow people like Brandon Thorne, who's an offensive line guru, there was no holding on that play. The one that, if I'm a Bengals fan, I'm, that's sticking in my craw, is the third down that got replayed mm-hmm. because of the issue with the clock. What opera- was that? Okay, so 
The the way that I saw it was uh, Ron Torbert, the, the head referee, misspoke and said the play clock will start on my signal or the game clock will start on my signal when he should have said the play clock, not the game clock will start on the snap. So there was miscommunication there. I think the clock operator did what he was told to do, even if it was incorrect. And then the Bengals get the stop. But hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Got to redo that. Right. That That is a tough break for Cincinnati, but 129 plays in this game. But it didn't cost him the game. No. Right? 129 plays in this game. Make one more. I, I think if I'm the Bengals, I'm, I'm going home, and I'm like, ah, just one more play. We weren't one more call short. We were one play short. I don't, I don't think they got hosed. I think they, they were on the wrong end of a lot of bad calls, and there were a lot of bad calls and bad execution uh, you know, procedures from the, the officiating crew in that game, but it didn't cost them the game. The most egregious part of that game for me, and I said it in real time, was punting the ball back to the Chiefs with under minute right down the middle of the mm-hmm. field yeah, and allowing yep. the big return by they, Sky okay. Moore. Just they, kick they the did, ball out of bounds. They did miss a block in the back on that return, though. They did miss a block in the back on that It was close, yeah, and right, so that's why I think Cincinnati feels like they got even more screwed by the officiating crew. But just kick the ball out of bounds because yep. why even take the risk of allowing oh. a big play and, on special teams, Mo- knowing what's on the other yeah, end of Mo- that. And and the Chiefs weren't moving the ball at that point. Right. The, the Lou Anarumo had them locked down. They were not moving the ball at that point. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe they kicked the ball right in the middle of the field and allowed Sky Moore to get, what, a 29-yard punt return and set them up in yeah. an outstanding field position because they've shown they, that's all they need. I mean, the Buffalo Bills are probably crying saying, see, we told you, <laughs> it can happen. JJ, you're about to get tackled. Do something, will you? <laughs> All right, I'm going to go lateral this one to Lara. Here we go. Here, Lara. Here comes the linebacker, Lara. Yeah. <laughs> are the Chiefs in the midst of a dynasty? They've played in five straight AFC championship games, and they're heading to their third Super Bowl in the last four years. Come on, I am so comfortable with this one. I'm running wide. I'm swinging the ball in my right <laughs> hand right here. You know, I am saying absolutely what better dynasty is there in the works right now and this is going to continue because I just looked up that contract extension that Patrick Mahomes signed with Kansas City Chiefs he is signed to be with the franchise through 2031 guys so they are they're (laughs) locked up with not only Patrick Mahomes but then the wealth of guys that they have around him I'm looking at spot track which tracks all of the contract Mm -hmm. situations and all of that and the way that they have built this team, it's sustained success. And think about all the criticism that there was, or I guess maybe some of the um, conversation, maybe not criticism, when they let Tyreek Hill go to Miami. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, how are you going to replicate that kind of production? Oh, we're just going to go out and get Marquez Valdez. Oh, Scantling. he's just going to have gonna 116 yards in the AFC you know? Championship. <laughs> I mean, and then you also look at look at the guys who they've drafted as well. Look at George Karloftis. A rookie making the type of plays that he did in the AFC Championship game. They've got great play in the trenches. They have incredible playmakers. And their quarterback is just, I mean, who I would say the best quarterback in football hands down right now and will be for the foreseeable future. All the hand-wringing about Mahomes' contract and his cap hit being in the 40 millions. The, the cap is going up so much that in like two years, that contract no is going to be a bargain. <laughs> and also the cap is all proportional. It, it's, all, it's all cash. The cap isn't real. Lara, yeah. we love you, but you're about to get decapitated <laughs> by an edge rusher. <laughs> get rid of the ball. 
Oh, that's right. I got a lateral in here. Okay. Here we go. Uh, Maytay coming to you. Did the Bengals lose because of bad karma from what their mayor said before the AFC title game? Burrowhead, we need a DNA test. We're going full Maury. You are not the father. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Here we go. Produce this on the fly. Who's 3-0 against Mahomes has been asked by officials to take a paternity test confirming whether or not he's his father. Hey, I got some wise words for that Cincinnati mayor. Know your role and shut your mouth, you jabroni. You gotta fight for your right to party! Also, by the way, great great usage of the word jabroni. I I'm tweeted here out it. after I said, can we, can we get valor or confirmation that that's the first time jabroni has been used in a in On a, a CBS national right? broadcast. In a yeah. non-wrestling context. Yeah. yeah. I mean. And of course it would come from Travis from Kelsey. From Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I, I am a huge believer. He is a treasure. No question. I, I am a huge believer in karma. I had Jeffrey can attest to this. You guys can as well. I had the Bengals winning all week, yep. and then I see that comment late Friday night from the mayor, and I'm, there you go, there it is. That's the kiss of death, and it's all about bulletin board material. And athletes, they thrive on it, man. I mean, every team that has ever been in existence, you you find ways to find things to motivate you to give you that slight advantage. And I'm just a big believer in what goes around comes around, and the real loser in all of this should be the Cincinnati mayor yeah. for just, can I, can wh- I just why would you even go there, man? Yeah, because it's also Cincinnati. Like I mean, that is my, totally there. Like I, I feel like that is inherent to who that fan base is, that city is. The other stay in your a little lane. Gritty. It's such a right call on this jerk for saying what he did. Right. I'm mean, not a jerk. That's a little too hard. I mean, I understand these, mayor, these things happen too, mayor, right? Mayor, just make. Other roundabouts. Make decisions on that. Stuff like that. Put you in know? stop signs. Yeah, put in more stop signs. <laughs> no, yeah. make roundabouts. He's roundabouts not a jerk. Approve, He's approve not a jerk. them to build another yeah. Montgomery Inn. Yes, you know? whatever like, it is. Or a new exit ramp. Montgomery Inn. But don't <laughs> put in another skyline on the exit Why on 74. Why would you poke the bear like that when you're traveling up there and you come out with that you know, paternity I, test? But don't think, Awful. But don't mayors, like, don't politicians make friendly bets they on do. if you win, you'll get, you'll get some LaRosa pizza. You know, you get some barbecue from they Kansas do. City. Absolutely. Like, what are you I, doing? I think that old mayor maybe had what himself are a you few doing? Ryan-diced bubbles like I like to do from time yeah, to time. And maybe got a little fiery on the mic That's there. the jabroni. <laughs> well said, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, hey, uh, Joe Burrow's on the line for you, mayor. <laughs> hey, shut your mouth next year. Shut it. All right. You're Somebody about to get tackled. Jag. Yeah, you're about to get just hammered. I'm about to get say. upended yeah. here. I'm trying to defeat the cut block right now. All right, Jeffrey, I'm going to lateral to you. Yes. What is the best Super Bowl storyline? Early early Super Bowl storyline is it Andy Reid coaching against his former team in the ah. Eagles how about the Kelsey brothers Love you know for Mrs. Kelsey the Love first it. mom ever Queen Donna. with two sons playing in the Super Bowl or is it the fact that this matchup first matchup with two starting black quarterbacks facing off Patrick Mahomes Ooh. and Jalen Hurts what do you got great storylines all the way around but we go back to Doug Williams we go back to Lovey Smith we go back to Tony Dungy Doug Williams first African-American to win a Super Bowl title Tony yep. Dungy and Lovey Smith squared off obviously we won that one I am sticking with the first two starting uh, African-American quarterbacks facing off in Mahomes and Hurts this league has been around forever and a day so it finally happened these guys are foundation figures now for the rest of their life that to me is the biggest storyline. Well done. For, for so long in the NFL, there's been these kind of baked-in racist evaluations of black quarterbacks. 
that's what it is. That that's what it's been. Where oh, they're not smart enough. They can only run. And you look at these two quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, and you look at some of the great black quarterbacks around the NFL. And that that is just it. It's so tired. It was tired ten years ago. It was tired twenty years ago. It was tired. At the start of the league, when quarter when you couldn't even be a black quarterback when football was was in its infancy, and for this to be a storyline now, and for people to look around the league and to not just see Mahomes and Hurts, but to see Lamar Jackson not playing wide receiver and playing at a very high level for the Baltimore Ravens, you know, it, it, to see Justin Fields doing what he's doing and with the upside that he has, where all right, yeah, he's more of a running quarterback, but it's not because he's black you know it's just to, to see the growth of this has been so good and to see people's minds being changed mm-hmm. about it around the league where if you're a black quarterback you are not considered all right well you're going to run the ball right look at cj stroud coming out of ohio state a guy who's going to probably we're going to hear a lot about him over the next couple of months cj stroud is not a running quarterback cj stroud can win from the pocket he can process extremely well Yes, he can scramble if he needs to, but so can Joe Burrow. Like, the, the, the whole thing about black quarterbacks, it was racist 50 years ago. It was racist last year. It's racist today. And I'm glad that this is where we're at right now. And also, they're both just incredible personalities, mm-hmm. and they do so much outside of football. When you look at how much that Patrick Mahomes has invested in women's soccer in Kansas City, he and his wife bought into the franchise there. Jalen Hurts, each and every week you see on his social pages the things that he is doing from a community standpoint in Philadelphia. So these guys are so influential, not just in who they are as players, but who they are as people, and how they have embraced the communities of the organizations that they are playing for and they are representing I will say though the most entertaining storyline to me going into this one is sweet old Donna Kelsey uh, and the yeah. Kelsey brothers oh, yeah. oh my gosh That's did fun. you hear yesterday that Travis was saying I- I'm not going to talk a whole lot of trash this week because I have so much respect for my brother and I'm always cheering for those guys I admire so many of these guys this is going to be so much fun I love it and like can Donna Kelsey write a parenting book or something like so, like is there? Can she have yeah, a, a art, game plan? The art to get to the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, right, right. How, how you construct two Super Bowl bound children when you have those who, those two who sons. like are complete. They play completely different positions. Like oh. the Bosa brothers, it's like wow, boy, they got great defensive end yeah, stock. Yeah, this hire, is, hire this one is great. Coach. The Mannings, both yeah, quarterbacks. Right, right, we're both good. Quarterback. Yeah. This is a Hall of Fame center and a Hall of Fame tight end. They're, t- they're totally mess different. With the Kelsey brothers. I'd mess with the Manning brothers. You, you would? I mean? Yeah, I'd mess with the Manning brothers. Have you? I have a shot. I mean, it's not, I'm just talking <laughs> about in the dark. Wouldn't they, like, well outwit you, though? Well, like, yeah, you know, I mean, I, if I'm in a dark they alley. Already, they already have. If I'm in a dark alley. <laughs> if I'm in a dark alley and I see Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey coming down, I'm done. I mean, I'm done. The guy can catch me the one side. I think I can outrun the other one. I can't. The Mannings, I got a shot. I could sweep a knee, <laughs> maybe something like that, and then I go. Who else? Any other brother combos that I could meet in a dark alley? Oh, Have a shot against? Man. Aaron and Brett Boone? Uh, yeah, they'll be the carrying Watts? Bats. Not Wait. the Watts. Oh, gosh. The Watts. The I'm Watts. Toast. Oh, yeah. They put me in a hand. They'll annihilate you. How about the fact that Eli and Peyton are going to coach head to head against each other in the Pro Bowl? That's, that's, that's great stuff right there. All right, here we go. Maytay, we got a random thought of the week. We're headed your way. Lara Overton's here. JJ Stankovitz and myself. Yeah, lateral Bring me the it ball. Lateral here. me the ball I'm on the random can, thought of the week. I'm just going to give you that middle shuffle pass yeah, that Mahomes did. Yeah, that little Mahomes On the three yard line that I got to lower my shoulder and get in. Go ahead. Guys, random thought. Where do we draw? the line on tipping 
I mean, oh, I, I, we're, we're being guy we're being to. asked Ooh. to tip more and more now. I mean, are you guys noticing Just this? <laughs> Well, I mean, the other day we're getting ice cream with the kiddos yeah. and, you know, I'm asked to tip on ice cream yep. or we're at the sub shop and you don't even you're not even being served in the traditional sense. I'm I'm busing my own table or cleaning my own table. I'm not being no one's taking my order. I'm yep. going up to the counter and I'm being asked to tip. I'm being asked to tip on carry out as a society. Where are we drawing the line? Because I always like okay. to tip. I just don't want to be that guy. I'm always a tip on carry outs because they do have to go through the work of like assembling yep. all of your stuff and and getting it out to you and all of those things so right. especially in you know i think that a lot of this amplified during covid times because you couldn't eat in and you know there were you weren't able to in a lot of places go sit down have dinner it was carry out only so i think my mentality was well it's you still you're kind of just transferring that right you're not able to sit in so you're kind of transferring it over um to doing that what i like to do though here's how i kind of i i tend to in those situations, I like I don't often carry much cash. I am a almost exclusively card user, but I like to have ones on me because I like to just tip, you know, when I can't. So then that doesn't go on your credit card transaction, but you know you can d- drop two or three bucks yeah. in addition to and then for it's a there. coffee or something, right? yeah, for right, small yeah, right, or right, an ice that, cream, like yes, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. So and and that way it doesn't really kind of come out of of your overall budget. It's just kind of like an additional little kitty that you pull from when necessary let me predict this one i bet that stankovitz has 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 just walked <laughs> out on stuff just if the bill was 4602 he left 4602 on it am i right on that <laughs> you are so Double incorrect J's. my oh, god West Clay J. Is, there's is, always those guys though when i go, when I go to and i get my boiled beef i tip extremely oh, well you knew it was that's the only place though no i'm teasing you what kind of tipper are you give it to me I, I so I'm with Lara. I like to do the you know little dollar mm-hmm. in the jar for small stuff. But I mean, I, I, I do it. I gladly will do it. Uh, the coffee shop that I go to uh, in my neighborhood, Zing Cafe, great coffee uh, in the Village of West Clay. You know, you can tip, and it has the automatic. Like so, you can tip twenty percent. You just like punch it in your credit card. Um, that's easy. I, I wish for like bigger organizations that. The workers just got paid better, so you didn't put the burden of me that's kinda where paying I'm at. you. That's where I'm at. I feel don't, bad. Don't put it on me. Put it on the people who are employing them. That's that, that's where I, I think I'm trying to find a, a societal consensus on this because that's that's what creeps in my mind. You know, if I'm not tipping them, are they going to be able to to make the money they need doing this job? Good question. Right. All yeah. those all those you know, there's a lot of people that depend on tips out there. So you know, waitresses, bartenders, everywhere else. Bellhop. I'm going to talk to you. Bellhop mm-hmm. people with their luggage and stuff. Can I just say <laughs> what I do really quick? And it's selfish, very self-serving and selfish. But I'm going to tell you, if 10, shocking. If 10, <laughs> if 15 bucks is a good tip, 30 bucks is a better tip. And the reason that I'll double stuff a lot of times, whether it's a meal or you're at a hotel, is I always go, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll be back. I'll see I'll you again. Back. Especially with tips when it comes to getting uh, good parking spots and stuff like that. If it's five bucks to park, I give ten. I say, hey, keep me oh, close, yeah. guys. Yep. Just keep for stuff close. like that. Mm-hmm. Just so we can say, hey, they, and my thing is, you're setting up you for the next time. You win and they win. Yeah, yeah, you're setting up for next time. I'm like, hey, remember me from last week? I saw you work. They're like, oh, yeah, hey, pal, how you doing? Come on in. You got the, not like that's, that. But here's the double. Well, that's, 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 my, yeah. that's my yeah. go-to at uh, weddings. Yes. I'll go up to the bar and, hey, here's a $20 tip to start off. Mm-hmm. Just remember me next time. Yep. And then, you know, 
tip him a couple bucks every other time you get a drink. But start off, start yeah. off with the big one. Hey, remember me. I'm going to be back. All there right, guys. Go. This I is like it. That. Colts official podcast presented to you by our friends at WinBet. We're almost out of here. Now, this is like the first weekend with no football. Well, there is sort of football with like the most a dodgeball senior thing. bowl going yeah. on. I mean, college and stuff like this. What do you guys do? Do you dig into the college basketball? Larry, do you go down to IU? Do you put oh. on the candy stripes? Oh, it's or? a big one. <laughs> it's a big one on Saturday. It is. IU hosting the number one ranked Purdue Boiler. Wow. What's up? Okay. So, so LO, out of commission come 4 p.m. on, on Saturday, <laughs> Don't right? Don't text right, me. Maytay? Don't text me. Don't call no, me. No, I'll probably text Maytay because I'll get irate because, you know, Zach Eby yeah. will do something I don't like. and then You're like I'll, six I mean, and ones in the right. first seven mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. We're down 13. Mm-hmm. What are we doing? <laughs> but, yeah. So, I'll start. This is when I start shifting my attention to a little more college basketball. Same. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'll definitely. What do you do? Do, do you uh, Lara's college? Mete says, college. I mean, Lara's IU all day. I mean, yeah. she's going to watch it. Here's my prediction for you, JJ. Okay, you watch the USFL, or at least you you, you yeah. scout the USFL a little bit. I can't, I can't, I, I can't go that far. No, you go down to Mesa and watch the Cubs. What do you do? No, uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm a fair weather college basketball fan, so I'm a Missouri grad. Our team's doing awfully well this year. We just beat the tar out of uh, Iowa State over the weekend, so. I'll probably be tuning in a little more uh, Tiger Hoops coming okay. up. Okay, Tiger Hoops. There we go. I'm going to be cooling into more I Jeopardy. I haven't paid attention to Tiger Hoops since Quinn Snyder was oh, the coach in Missouri. Oh, there was a lot to pay attention to then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was. I'll go against you in Jeopardy any day of the week, pal. Oh, yeah. I love really? it. I love yeah. Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. Watch you. I've been hot What lately. is the Milky Way? I've been, <laughs> I've been hot. I played with Matt Wilkening on the phone the other day while we were both watching it. It was kind of fun actually doing it. I mean, it was tedious, but it was kind of fun. <laughs> And I cheated I mean, a little I bit. I hated every no, minute I of it, but it was fun. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't cheat, but, oh, we had a fun time. Jeopardy is my off-season go-to. I know it's weird, but, hey, it's what we do. We're, you, uh, we do get weird here a little bit on the Colts Official Podcast. A little bit. Again, presented by our friends at Widbet, The Last Word, the Colts Off-Season Radio Show. It airs on Friday night at 6 p.m. on 93.5 and 107.5. we got Mayte with me on that one. It'll also be available on demand on Colts.com, Colts Mobile App, and the Colts Audio Network. Who's going to the big game here, guys, before we say goodbye? It's coming up in just under two weeks. Lara, are you Arizona bound? JJ? No, no, no. I'm not. Uh, I'll be, I'll be here watching and observing, and you know, I love to see like all the coverage, like starting early in the day. Like I'll, I'll bop around, do the ESPN pregame show, the uh, Fox yeah. pregame show. I like to watch it all, immerse it all, watch the halftime show. Real excited for. Did this blow anyone else's mind? It's Rihanna, not Rihanna. Rihanna is is. Have we been saying her name wrong the whole we've time? We've all been saying it wrong Wait the whole time, and, and, and she hasn't done a show since 2018. Is that right? Yeah, well, is that what know, I read? She's been busy. She's a billionaire now. She built Fenty Beauty, and she, she's created a billion yeah, dollar Taylor, business. Taylor, back out of off on Riri. She's Riri, become Taylor. a mother. Jeez. I mean, bow down. Yeah. So, yeah. go hey, I'm just saying facts. facts. I'm just back saying facts. facts. Great yeah. Super Bowl halftime shows. Yeah, they're coming up. Some go boats. We got to talk about that. Let's do that next week. Let's do Super Bowl well, the, the one, the one last year, like, was the best one I will ever see. What was last Dr. year? Dr. Dre. Oh, God, Snoop yes, Dogg. that was. Montage, that was. Right? I mean, it was so okay. good. Evan okay. McPherson oh. said, I don't need any halftime oh. yeah. speech. I'm coming right. out here and watching yeah. this. Yeah. Hold you know? on, stank That, that okay, was. Just that hold was. on a minute. Well, yes. You go to your YouTube and go to the 2006, 2007 season. Yeah, I know what you're season. going with. I'm not and a, talk I'm, about Purple I'm not a Purple Prince fan. Maytay and I had this conversation in Minneapolis. I am ending this thing yeah. right now because <laughs> the of greatest this slander. Guitar, greatest guitar player of no, all time. Absolute Give me slander Dr. Dre right and Snoop. Okay, I'm not going to let you badmouth Prince on that. All right, listen, we're going to talk more music and, of course, football next week. It's the Colts <laughs> official podcast for Matt Taylor, J.J. Stankovitz, and Larry Overton. I'm Gore Man. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>